Good to see you here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 1. I want to talk about, I've titled this message, I've given it a title, The True Light, or The True Light of Christmas. Lori and I were driving last night and we were going past that neighborhood in Brea that has uh, a lot of people driving through it. I chose not to drive through it. Uh, but they're there to see Christmas lights. How many of you guys put up Christmas lights around your house? All right. There's a lot of us here that do that. Um, how many of you are that one neighbor that leaves them up too long? Just leaves, you know, you leave them up. Yeah, you're that neighbor. Don't be that neighbor. Um, but I was reading an article on Christmas in America and uh, knowing where I was going in my study as well. Uh, but it says that like more than 150 million light sets are sold to Americans each year, more than 80 million homes decorate them as such. And then the article went on to talk about this one family that has set the Guinness Book of World Records for the most lights on their house. I think we have a picture of it here. I thought it'd be cool to see this. But 720,000 lights. Um, can't quite see it, but trust me, there's 720,000 lights up there. I've counted them. They are there. And they even had a joke. Uh, you guys like my joke last week? It was a good joke, yes. But uh, it was a joke about a, a man and his dog. His dog uh, conveniently at Christmas time ate about five feet of the Christmas light strand. And so he took his dog to the vet and uh, waited there patiently in the waiting room. And the vet finally came out with a big smile. And he goes, you're really going to you know, like what I have to say. And he goes, what's that? He goes, well, I was able to uh, you know, remove the... The, the, the lights from your dog, and I know you'll be really happy about that, and your dog was delighted, so I thought that was a great <laughs> joke as well. My staff laughed a lot harder than you guys did. I thought I'd try this out on them first, but today we want to talk about the true Christmas light. It's not found in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's found in, in God's Word. Chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Oh, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we'll focus this morning on two words, life and light. And both of those words are used in relation to Jesus himself. 
It's part of the Christmas story. In an interesting world where most of us and our communication comes through computers and through smartphones, Christmas seems to be that one time a year where we still get like written letters and cards from people. And, and most of the Christmas cards, Lori and I sit down, we look at them, we read them. So thank you, by the way, for all that you send to the church and to us. We, we, we enjoy them. But as we look at them, I think you might look at them the same way. They, they seem to fall into a couple of categories. One, there's a real focus in Christmas cards these years on the family that sent them. Right? There, there's a picture of them. It's, it's taken somewhere. We've got that picture. You saw it here. It's just kind of part of the tradition. Christmas traditions these days. And we always kind of put some sort of scripture in there and we put, you know, the Merry Christmas thing in there, but we really highlight our family. And then there's, there's the other side of it too. We got another side of those where there's no family pictures. It's just something focusing on the first family, you might say. It's the manger. It's, it's the trough. It's baby Jesus. It's his his two parents, it's even sheep and donkeys and camels and wise men and shepherds and a star. And all of that is important. It's important enough and significant enough for both Matthew and Luke to pen down all of those details that surround the birth of Jesus. But I think for some people, if you took away all of those features, you took away the the camels and the wise men, the angel, the star, the manger, the trough. You took away all of the animals. For them, there would be not a whole lot of the Christmas story left to tell. Because that's what they tell. But John, as you go through the Gospel of John, there's no camels. There, there, there's no wise men. There's no, there's no star. There's... There's no real focus on any of those features, those tangible, earthly features. But it's nonetheless the Christmas story. And you might even say it's a deeper dive into the Christmas story than what meets the eye in reading the Gospel account of Matthew or the Gospel account of Luke. They give you all of these details. It's a fascinating story. In John's Gospel, everything he pins down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is for the goal of people seeing Jesus as God. Every, everything from the very beginning, that's the focal point. That Jesus is God. All the way through every miracle, the focal point is not the miracle, not the features around the miracle, not the person that was healed, not the, the tangible what you see. The, the focal point of every miracle is that you would see Jesus as God. And that's how he, he kind of closes off his letter saying that. I write these things that, that there's many more things that I could have written, John says, but I write these things that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you might, but in believing that, you would find life, spiritual, eternal life in his name. And so... John pretty much sums up everything that Matthew and Luke gives us in, in, in one verse, in verse 14, where we begin to talk about life first. And the Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus taking on flesh, 
and, and dwelt among us. He's talking about his life first. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So four words, the word became flesh. Really the most powerful part of the Christmas story. You could take any, any other physical feature and, and away from it, you still have this focal point from John. The Word became flesh. And, and, and that along with verse 1, in the beginning the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This again is John focusing more on the supernatural side of the story. You get the natural side, with, with, the, with the manger, with, with Bethlehem itself, the star, the angels, and, 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 and all. But then you have the supernatural side. The supernatural, like the earthly components, but then the, just the supernatural side. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word there, the Word, is the Logos, or the Logos. In the Greek mind, the Word, Logos referred to a creative force, the most powerful force in the universe, the sustainer of order, the source of wisdom, the source of intelligence. When they, the Greek mind began to try and understand creation, the universe and whatnot, they, they knew that, it did, it, that there was something that created all of this, but they attributed it to this, this force. To the Greeks, logos referred to a non-personal force, not a, a creature or a being that takes on a form. It's the kind of view that many evolutionists have today. They believe that, you know, we have a universe. It, it, it involves some sort of intelligent design. They attribute the origin and the development of that universe or our universe to some kind of impersonal creative force. They even call it intelligent design. And some do go a bit farther and, and believe that God is that, that force. There's a God out there, that, in, that in, intelligent design, that force. There's a God out there, but they do not believe that that God could be known. But John says, yes, 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 hold on. The word, the logos, the, the creative force that formed the universe and sustains the universe, the source of all wisdom and intelligence is God. In the beginning was the Word. The beginning in John's Christmas story goes way beyond Jesus' birth in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. In the Greek mind, again, Logos referring to that creative force, you know, he, he is reaching to a time before creation where everything began, and he says before that, before creation, he... The Word, in reference to Jesus, the Logos, or Logos, already was. In the beginning, He. In the beginning, was. In the Hebrew, in the beginning, was, is am I. It's to continue. In the beginning, He, he you know, it just, He was and He continues to be the Word. When the beginning began, he already was, is the idea. And again, this speaks of Jesus' pre-existence. If Jesus is pre-existent, then he is not part of creation. He is before creation. He pre-existed 
He is outside the creation. He is before time. And if Jesus is outside the creation and before time, He is eternal. And if He is eternal, He is God. And so the word, the, the, the logos, which the eternal God who existed before the beginning of creation, John's like, he's not some impersonal force. No, he can be known. Because the word, the logos, the eternal God, became flesh and dwelt <clears throat> among us. And the word, the word dwelt there in the, the, the Hebrew is skeno, which it's... it's in the Greek, excuse me, it's skeno. It means to, um, to live in a tent. The idea is he camped among us. So the word, the, the, the logos, the eternal God, can actually be known because he became human. He became a man. A personal God who came into the world and we beheld his glory. <clears throat> excuse me. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Could someone bring me my water because I'm going I'm to need it. So, thank you very much. Sorry for the interruption, but my voice is like not going to make it. Thank you. Are you guys tracking with me? Yes. All right, good. John's like, you know, we knew him. We encountered him. We beheld his glory. The, the, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When he lived his life down here on earth, that's who he was. This is what we, we sing about when we sing Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That <clears throat> veiled in flesh, <clears throat> the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with man, or pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And so God expressed himself to mankind, and, and he does through creation, he does through his word, and he does through his, his spokesman, the prophet, but the, the ultimate way for God to express himself to mankind is not so much through a letter, these letters that make up our Bible, or through the prophets, the spokesmen, the ultimate way for God to express himself to mankind is to be there himself. And so he became a man. Jesus is God's final word to man. And because he dwelt among us, that means that he is more than just some impersonable, unknowable force that designed the universe. He is a divine being that has always existed before creation, the eternal God who actually created the universe. As we read in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In Colossians 1, verse 15, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things consist. 
And so, to the Jewish mind, the word logos, they, they saw it as the expression of who God is. They, they believed that the word logos, the word, referred to the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but most Jews struggled in John's day in seeing Jesus as God in the flesh. And there are people today that carry that same line of errant thinking. But he was. And this is the incarnation. God did take on humanity. The, the creator entered his creation. The infinite, in that sense, became finite. He was fully God and fully man. The fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, where the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. We went over that last week. God with us. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and talked to her about this miraculous conception, that she would give birth to the Son that she is to name Jesus, then the angel, of course, answered, and when she was having a hard time, when it says, like the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also the Holy One who is to be born to you shall be called the Son of God. Beautiful words, beautiful promises. Christmas began in the womb of a virgin girl. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't become the God-man in a trough in Bethlehem. He was God incarnate from the moment of conception. Let that sink in. When Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, the infinite God took on the form of a tiny, unborn baby boy. Eternal God that created everything took on flesh, added humanity. Colossians 2.9, speaking of Jesus, in him all the fullness of deity dwells. So God spent his first nine months on earth as a pre-porn baby in a womb, fully alive, fully human, fully God. He did not cease to be God when he became man. He was fully God and fully man, the God-man. He added manhood, but he did not subtract deity. We beheld his glory, John says, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so as Jesus dwelt among man as a man, he did so without giving up his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. God who is love. And has always been a God of love was now wrapped in human flesh. The love of God now beat in a human heart. 1 John 4, 9, by this the love of God was manifest in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So we behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The truth there, and the, it speaks of the wisdom of God, that the truth of God and the wisdom of God could now be heard through human lips. The grace of God was now on display through a human life. Grace and truth, those two amazing attributes that 
are very connected to salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace we've been saved through faith. Truth, James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And then later on in John's Gospel, chapter 1, there, verse 17, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. So the eternal, infinite, transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, everlasting, unchanging God of the universe became a human being who was swaddled by a very exhausted young mother and just like being watched by a very frightened young father hunkering down in a very dirty stable in the city of Bethlehem. Dwelling among man was the word made flesh by the miracle of divine conception and a virgin birth. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. And this is the Christmas story. Throughout eternity, past, in our present, and on into the future of our eternity, God has been, God will be, God has tabernacled among us, and when we get into heaven, there's a glimpse of God in that same sense. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell. Same word as John chapter 1, skeno. He will, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. And that's where we read, He will wipe away every tear. No more death, no more sorrow. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. The other word that John used here to describe Jesus is light. In him was life, and four and five, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, though, did not comprehend it. So, you know, over and over, we see the reference to God as light throughout the Old Testament. There's this Amazing word that's used, it's the word Shekinah. Um, and it, it, it basically describes like the, the presence of God, the blazing light is the word, just trying to describe the presence of God. It, we see that with Moses, we see that, you know, uh, when, when he showed up at the tabernacle, God showed up there at the tabernacle, when he, when he showed up in the temple, when he led them by the pillar of fire, by night and by that, that cloudy light, um, you know, during the day. And, and, and in him, Jesus was life, the manifestation of God's life, and the life was the light of men. The idea is that the manifestation of God's life shines through Jesus to a very dark, sinful world. The light shines in the darkness, verse 5. In the, in the lost world, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The, 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 the darkness did not, um, the idea is overpower it or, or overcome it. 
when Jesus began to manifest himself at the beginning of his ministry, the darkness of the world would be dispelled by the light. The darkness could not overcome. The darkness could not overpower the light of his life. Just like a a small candle will overwhelm the darkness of a room, darkness can't overcome light. John frequently described God as light in his writings as well, usually in the context of talking about Jesus in chapter 3, verse 19. And this is condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done by God. Later on, as John writes that amazing book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos, he says in chapter 21, verse 22, But I saw... Um, No temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun uh, or of the moon to shine for it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in the light. You know, we walk into almost any dark room and we're like, we need some light. But if you walked into just any dark room, and put on even just the light on your phone, that light is going to conquer that darkness. And what a great metaphor, what a great picture to assign to God. And maybe we'll get to heaven and, 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 and we'll be like, you know, it's just an amazing thing, but the light throughout eternity, what allows illumination and what allows us to see whatever eternity is will be God himself. That's just an amazing thing to think through. Light is a single term that captures the essence of God's nature. It represents his holiness, his purity. In 1 John 1.5, John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so what does that mean? That God is, he's all good, there's nothing bad, he's all pure, there's nothing impure about him. He is he is, he is right. He is, he, there's nothing wrong about him. He is truth. There's nothing false about him. He is holy. There's nothing unholy about him. He is completely righteous. There's nothing unrighteous about him. There's no dark side of God. There's nothing negative about God. God is light. And this is a very profound statement to make in a culture in which the pagan gods... The Greeks and the Romans were seen as very much imperfect and very much dark and very much cruel. They would pale in comparison to the one true God who is life and light. And this is virtually, you know, or vitally, excuse me, important because without his light of purity and holiness in our lives, we would dwell in constant spiritual darkness. It is a simple fact that in the physical world as well as in the spiritual world that darkness can't continue when it encounters light. Light always dispels 
darkness. In John's Gospel, in chapter 8, Jesus was up on the Temple Mount and following the week of, of Tabernacles. It was a long celebration and, and standing in front of thousands who would gather around that area were these four large candelabras. They were, they were huge. They were as tall as the city walls. All week, these massive flames would leap out of the top of these torches and illuminate the whole temple and much of Jerusalem. And it was a reminder to them. It was a reminder of God being the light that led the people through the wilderness. And so at the end of the week, next to those, those charred, giant torches, Jesus goes, he raises his voice above the crowds that would have been there, and he says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His audience knew that over and over in the Old Testament, God is called light. They knew that those candelabras represented God as light. And now that light has flesh. That light has put on a face. That light can now be seen. That light can now be heard. That light can now be accepted. That light can now be followed. He was clearly claiming to be the self-existent, eternal God, one of a kind. I was reading a little funny story about a little boy who forgot his lines in the church Christmas play. Thankfully, his mother was in the front row. As he was standing there, it was his turn to talk. He just kind of went blank and got that frightened look. Her mom looked at her little son, got his attention, and slowly formed the words of his line, the one line that he had, to where the little boy began to smile and nod with his head like he's got it. Then he leaned back, stuck out his chest, and lifted his voice and belted out. What his mom had said is, I am the light of the world. And so the little boy, when he heard that, he got so excited and he belted out these words, my mom is the light of the world. We all know there's only one true Christmas light, amen? His name is Jesus. And then just this, this one part here in verse 6, this talking about John the Baptist, a man, this, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He was the forerunner. He was not the light. He was to tell everybody, Jesus is the light. And he would point everyone to him as such. And the fact that John the Baptist had to point out the true light shows us just how blind the world really is. For only blind people cannot see the light. And, and, and spiritually, you know, this morning I, I woke up and I, I, I got the text coming in from my brothers on the East Coast. They're a little bit ahead of us. And so, you know, the pastors, and we just kind of encourage one another. And we, and then and it kind of goes into a group thing and whatnot. But you begin to, 
the reality, the, the blessing of being able to come here. And as one of my friends said, we're nothing more than shepherds. And just like the shepherds, we're just delivering mess, a message that was given to us. And what a glorious message it is. What a wonderful message it is to, 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 to say some of these things about Jesus and to hear a room filled with people agreeing, to hear your Bibles, you know, being opened up, to hear your amens in agreement with God's word as we're talking about God and his son. You who are in agreement with this are not spiritually blind. Your eyes are open. You have seen the life of God displayed, on display through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. But, but that's not true for everybody. And that should, in that sense, be a bit heavy on our hearts. Unbelievers are spiritually blind because as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving hearts so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of of God. But then Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4 6 that God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How many of you are, are like grateful this morning that God is willing to deal with man's blindness? Amen? He's able. He's so willing that he sent his son, the true light, into the world to give light to every man. In Isaiah, the word light is used several times as a reference to the coming Messiah. But there's a classic in Isaiah 49, verse 6, where it says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, speaking of the Messiah, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then in Matthew's account, Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, around verse 15, it says that, that Jesus' ministry in Galilee was to fulfill that. And he quotes that. It was to fulfill that was which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet to the people beyond the Jordan. And he quotes Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness, they saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land, a shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. And so the Apostle John is declaring here, the light is with you. And John the Baptist was pointing to the light, Jesus, for a purpose. That all through him, that they might believe. That people would believe in the light. That they would put their faith in Jesus as God, as eternal God, as creator of the universe. As the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth the God-man who was sent into the world to save them. Verse 9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
And he's like, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came into his own, his own did not receive him. And so the, the creator of the world became its savior, yet many did not see him as such. They rejected him and did not know him in a saving way. And later on in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, This is judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who, who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for their deeds, for, for fear the deeds will be exposed. Words of Jesus. People refuse to come to the light of Jesus Christ because they love their sin. And they just don't want it to be exposed. And it's hard watching our unbelieving ones, loved ones and friends, walk in darkness. And we know what's behind it. As we just read, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds. They, they actually love the darkness and they want nothing to do with the light. They actually hate the light. And that's not the case with everyone because he says in verse 12, and I love how we move into this, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. The world's hatred of God and rejection of Christ in no way overrules or frustrates God's plan. Talk about grace. I love that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was, but now I. Amen. Because of God's grace, we are saved. Because of God's grace, people continue to, to be saved. Jesus accepts those who receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. John 3.15, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those who receive him, to them, he gives the right to become children of God. And this is evidence. This is, this is more evidence to Jesus being God. You might even look at the first part of this chapter and go, wow. The, 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 the first evidence that we saw, just for the deity of Christ, is that he, he made the world. He was seen there in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 10, the world was made through him. He brought everything, every material thing, you might say, that exists into existence. But now we read, kind of interesting, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, it's not something they've done or the will of man. It's not this, it's something some other man has done, but it's a work of God. And so God creates the universe. Jesus is God. The next form of evidence for the deity of Christ has to do with creation as well, but this time it's not the material creation of the world. It's spiritual creation. Only God can save. People that received him became children of God, and to become children of God, they were born of God. That is a creative process. 
Jesus, the creator of the material universe, is also the creator of his own family through spiritual regeneration, a spiritual birth process that God alone can do. We were born not of flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, the will of man, but of God. This is the true light that has come into the world. Now we should say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amen? This is the true Christmas message. This is the real story that needs to capture our hearts and, and help people, like John, fully embrace Jesus themselves personally. People believe in the Christmas story. They believe there was a Joseph, there was a Mary, a manger, wise men, angels. They believed in that whole star, the wise men that followed it. But John presents facts about the child who was born, facts that demand a response. And the right response to this message will change your eternal destination. You can be really right about the angel, really right about the wise men, I really believe that. That is not going to change your life spiritually. That is not going to change your eternal destination. But when you begin to look at who is in that, that trough, who was born to that Virgin Mary, and you begin to consider him, if you begin to believe God's word, what God said about, that is my son, who has always been the eternal God, the transcendent God, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of the universe that I sent to take on flesh to die for you on that cross. If you, if you believe that, that will change your eternal destination. Thank you for those four amens. I'm, I'm feeling supported this morning. That will absolutely make an eternal difference in your life. First John 20, 30, 31. These things that I've written to you, I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, there are uh, so many things to be in wonder about um, this time of year. It really is uh, a time, a very special time of the year where it's so rich with traditions, special, valuable family traditions, special, valuable church traditions. You'd love how this season brings us together with our loved ones and our friends. We're able to express our love and our appreciation to them and having meals together and even giving gifts to one another and writing things that, <laughs> that, that throughout the year we just, we're not thinking about. But then there's that, that moment we have, that time we have, a setting that we have like this where with our loved ones and with our friends, we open up your love letter. And we just begin to, to contemplate the, 
Isaiah 7s and the Isaiah 9s and the Matthew 2s and Luke chapter 1 and John chapter 1. And we are, we are, we are left in, in wonder. And we who know you just want to pause right now again and Thank you. Thank you for taking on flesh. You know, I, I don't know that the word, the phrase happy birthday is enough. <laughs> but thank you for being you. For taking on flesh. For the purpose. With us in mind. With a cross in mind. With saving us in mind. Greater love has no one than this, you, you said it, than to lay down their life for their friends. And you said, you're my friends. So thank you, Lord, for being that life and light. I pray as we look at electric Christmas lights, strands of lights, from this time on, throughout today and even into our future, we would really be thinking about, oh, 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 God took on flesh. The true light of Christmas is you, God, sending your son, Jesus, you coming and taking on flesh. And the, the evidence of deity as we look at the promises about your life, your, your birth, your death, your resurrection, and on into eternity. And that it would just be, it just come alive. We would connect those dots. For anyone here or online that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I'd just like to give an opportunity for you, if that's you here or online, to receive the greatest gift. If you're not a child of God. There, there's a choice. As, as many as received him is, is something that is said following the idea that his own had rejected him. So there's a choice. God has given us free will. And we all, the Bible says, are born into this world sinners with sinful nature and, and that sin separates us from God. But the gift is, is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you want that gift, just, just tell God right now. Say, Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus. Just tell him that. And confess, agree with God that you are a sinner and, and ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, come on into my life. I believe you are, you are God. I believe you are the Savior of the world. You died on that cross for me, and I, I invite you right now to save me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. And if you prayed that very simple prayer, man, thank him for, for saving you. And tell someone that is with you today. Tell us. Anyone around here, just tell us you, you prayed that prayer. We'd love to give you a Bible and, and walk 
with you through your journey. Lord, we pray throughout this day as we will undoubtedly celebrate with friends and family that you would be our guest of honor, <laughs> that our focus would be on you. We'd find an opportunity to, to talk about you and to, to pray to you and, and to honor you in our celebrations. Tonight, Lord, as we will gather as well at 11 o'clock, we pray for that group and the next service behind this. Just bless our time, Lord. Bring salvation. May people leave here today, now and these other services, just built up and encouraged, knowing that they are loved, knowing that they are so valued, valued to the point that, Father, you would send your son on a rescue mission for each and every one of us. Oh, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful day.